Okay. Sorry about a slightly late start. The first copy ran out of paper. See if my voice can survive for this lecture. As I said before, I have the luxury of time because I tend to give you fairly brief lectures. So let's see how we go. So this lecture then is uh, useful chronologically. This isn't something we're talking about at the moment elsewhere in the course, but it's useful to do this before we start looking at other regions of embryology. This is the, the first 18 days of the embryo, so going from fertilisation-ish, but I'm not really going to talk about that, <coughs> going from the very early stage of two cells coming together through to about uh, three weeks in. And we will show some complexity start to develop within this structure. Um, the embryo will really start to form, but you'll also, more than that, see the structures around the embryo, the structures that are going to support the embryo, embryo forming within those first uh, two to three weeks. And the uterus becoming modified as well to support this embryo, this future fetus. <coughs> so here then, talking about fertilisation. Oh dear. Um, here we have uh, two pronuclei. So the sperm and the egg have come together, and of course each nucleus is haploid. That's half the required number of chromosomes. Half the number of chromosomes of a normal cell. And that's at this stage here. It's a zygote, and for this whole lecture, we're only going to get about this far, if that. Long way to go, yeah. But this is the first lecture. Shouldn't take me too long, really, should it? So, we start with fertilisation, which I will actually skip over because there's a really good couple of weeks on fertilisation um, before Easter. After fertilization, we get what we call a zygote. So that's the future embryo. The zygote are a couple of cells or cells which are totipotent, cells which could go on and form any cell in the future body. <coughs> We're going to talk about cleavage. Not that type of cleavage. <laughs> the cleavage of cells to form more cells and to form this early, very early embryo. Uh, the formation of a morula, a blastocyst. And as we go down this list, the level of complexity is increasing. And then we get to the point of implantation, so where the blastocyst, the very early embryo, implants into the uterus wall lining. And then we'll talk about gastrulation, so one of the first processes where we start to see those axes that we talked about, those axes of determination of body pattern starting to appear in gastrulation. <coughs> and we'll stop at neurulation. Neurulation will then pick up right at the end of the year, which I think Andrew Coogan will teach you about, probably via The Simpsons. Um, and he'll talk about neurulation because that ties in with <coughs> the development of the central nervous system, of course. So we're talking about the embryo at around this sort of stage. 
and then so it comes from here where it's a zygote or a morula to this sort of level of complexity <coughs> just before we reach this is pretty much the point of new relations we'll stop before we reach this point but you can see how we've gone from a ball of cells in the first three weeks to something with some distinct structure a left and a right an up and a down a head and a tail <coughs> and so on <coughs> We'll take this week by week. We'll look at one week, we'll recap it, we'll look at the second week, we'll recap it, and then we'll do the third week. Um, and this is pretty much the first week then. <coughs> so here we have uh, the fertilization process, which, as I said, I'm not going to talk about. Fertilization isn't, uh, there's no uh, moment of fertilization, there's no point of fertilization. That's an important idea to get rid of. Uh, the process of fertilization is a series of mechanisms and actions that take about 22 to 24 hours. There's no fertilized. There's no start to life at that point. Um, and then we talk about this is the cleavage I was talking about. And then by the end of the first week, we'll have this sort of structure. And look how it's moved as well. So here's the ovary. Here's the egg moving down the fallopian tube, at which point it becomes fertilized in this case. It continues to um, develop as it moves down the fallopian tube. And then at the end of the first week, it implants into the uterus. So we've got this process, we've got this movement of the structure down the fallopian tube as well as, as, well as its development. Um, one interesting question I'd like to raise here, it's not a learning objective, but it's interesting, is the idea of when does life begin? This is an interesting problem, an interesting idea, and there are lots of viewpoints. Um, initially with Plato, it was um, decided that life began when the soul entered the body. And the soul entered the body at birth, and the Romans were very similar to this. That's when life began at birth. Nice, clear-cut, nice and easy. Um, the Pythagoreans believed that the human soul was created at the time of conception. That's when the two cells come together. That's when life began. Aristotle um, added an interesting idea that the soul probably entered the fetus when it began to move, when it began to become animated. So the idea that life begins when the fetus becomes animated, which, not sure why, but was measured at those days as about 40 days post-conception for males and 19 days for females. So the soul enters female fetuses earlier than male fetuses. I'm not sure how that was measured. The Catholic Church um, took that up and used uh, day 40 as their point at the point at which the soul entered the fetus. Uh, and then they changed it in the late 19th century when uh, cell theory and fertilization was discovered. And uh, they took the view that life begins at conception. So that's probably more familiar to you guys. Um, <coughs> Catholicism, life beginning at conception. Now current science is way worse than this. Current science doesn't have it as clear cut as that. There are God knows how many views and ideas, uh, which are quite interesting. There's the metabolic view in that life doesn't begin as such. The sperm and the egg are the units of life, so life is always there. Um, there's the genetic view. Life begins when you create a novel genetic individual. So when we saw those pronuclei come together, that's when life begins. Um, there's the embryological view. Life starts at gastrulation, which is what we're going to 
um, talk about in the second week when you start to see some form appearing in the embryo, life begins in gastrulation. That's actually the view of the British government at the moment, apparently. Um, there's the neurological view, which is interesting. So death occurs when you can't detect any brain activity, right? So life must begin when you can detect brain activity. So when you can d detect um, uh, information on an EEG, that's when life begins. Problem is, of course, the technology gets better and better, so you can detect it earlier and earlier. So there's no true idea as to when life begins through that theory. Um, and then there's the ecological, technological view which says that life begins when the fetus can survive on its own. So there are lots of conflicting viewpoints which generate lots of interesting debate. Um, the thing I like the most is that back in the first half of last century, medical schools um, always taught that life begins at conception. And now we teach that we don't know when life begins. So we can go backwards as well as forwards with discovery. Right, back to the embryology. So you'll remember these images from uh, my lecture last week. And let's have a look at some of these terms which uh, I've mentioned. So the zygote. Um, here's the zygote. This is the very early <coughs> developing embryo. So we've gone from two cells to... So we've gone from a very large cell, an egg, and a sperm, two very different cells, to one cell to two cells which are very similar. And these two cells are going to go on to form every cell in the adult body, right? So they're totipotent. They're able to differentiate into any cell. You have a huge range. And what happens is <coughs> there is a rapid series of mitotic divisions, so the cells just divide in a normal mitotic manner. And the number of cells increases, but the size of the cells decreases. There's no increase in size here. Um, and by three days, we have 16 cells. We have a uh, morula, which comes from the word mulberry. Yeah, it looks like a blackberry. So this structure hasn't got any bigger. We've just got more cells. <coughs> the cells are maximizing their contact with each other. And they're not individual cells as such. They are in heavy communication with one another. They have gap junctions between them. And they're signaling to each other right now uh, what they need to do and what processes should occur to continue. So this isn't any normal cell proliferation. Uh, the inner cells, of course, this is um, uh, a view from outside. But... <coughs> Differences are already starting to occur. We're getting some outer cells which are becoming different to the cells in the middle of the morula. We'll talk about that again a little bit more in a minute, but some terms. Okay, these cells are blastomeres. Just the name we give them, blastomeres, at this stage. The inner cell mass, which we can't see, which is hidden within the centre. These cells are going to become the embryo. These are going to become the tissues of the embryo, the cells within the middle. The outer cells, the outer cell mass, these cells are going to become the placenta. So these cells are already different, already becoming determined. 
So we give them names. The inner cell mass. Oops. What's going on there? Um, the inner cell mass we call the embryoblast. It's going to become the embryo. The outer cell mass we call the trophoblast. I'm adding these terms as we go because we're going to use these terms as we go through the, the lecture. And these terms are essentially going to stay the same, but they're going to get added to and get reused. So we have a naming convention. So here's our morula. There's a diagram. The blastomeres, the cells of the morula, are differentiating. And this inner cell mass is starting to fill with fluid and a single cavity forms. If we cut a section through that, this is what's starting to form. This is at about uh, five days. So as this structure is starting to enter the uterus, the uterine cavity, it's coming out of the fallopian tube now. So these cells are starting to differentiate. They're starting to become different. Here's the embryoblast, the inner cell mass, with what will become the embryo proper. And fluid is starting to be drawn in. So this is a, a blaster seal. This space is called the blaster seal. This whole structure now is called the blaster cyst. Um, the blastomeres make up the blastocyst. Uh, in case you don't know where the words come from. So blast is a cell, usually a cell that's making something. Uh, cyst is like a bladder, often a fluid-filled bladder. Um, blasto is particularly something that's uh, building, creating, making something new. So a blastocyst. Here's the blastocyst. As I said, it's entering the uterus now. Here's the mother's uterine wall, the uterine lining. This is around day six. Now you remember there was a zona pellucida around here, a um, glycoprotein coat, which was necessary to protect the ovum and is also <coughs> necessary, necessary for fertilization. That gets lost around day five, day six. Once it's lost, it's possible for the blastocyst to attach to and implant into the uterus, uterine wall. And remember, Can you repeat what the zona pellucida was? The zona pellucida was a, um, we saw it in the previous slide. <coughs> Here's the zona pellucida here. It's this glycoprotein coat all the way around which was very important in fertilization, but now we need to get rid of it if we're going to implant. And you remember in the first lecture how I was talking about axes, how often it's not obvious which is the head, which is the tail, but the cells definitely have some signaling mechanisms going on. If we look at this uh, blastocyst, we can see it is quite different. It is polar. One end is different to the other. And the, uh, the embryoblast is at one end. It's that end at which usually the blastocyst will start to implant into the uterus. 
you'll remember that um, the cells on the outside, they're the trophoblast cells. These are the cells that are going to become the placenta, <coughs> part of the placenta. These touch the uterine epithelium first, and they start to penetrate the uterine epithelium around day six. So it's going to start <coughs> invading into this uterine wall. So that's where we've got to at the end of the first week. talk about these in a moment but we're starting to get implantation we've gone from this structure to this structure so you can see the increase in complexity from one cell with two pronuclei to a whole bundle of cells with one part that's going to become the embryo one part is quite different and a fluid filled chamber so we've gone from here around to here in the first week and the embryo is now dropped into the uterus Okay, week two, implantation. Key event of week two then, implantation. Blastocyst, implanting the uterus wall. This reaction, this mechanism by which the blastocyst becomes implanted is the decidual reaction. The lining of the uterus during pregnancy is called the decidua. Um, yeah, Latin meaning shed, decidua, like decidual leaves on trees, decidual trees. Um, so the decidual reaction or decidualization. And this is kicked off by the cells of the cytotrophoblast. The stromal cells of the uterine wall linings, that is the connected tissue cells, are encouraged, are triggered by these invading cells to become the maternal part of the placenta. The placenta has a maternal part and a, a fetal part. And these stromal cells, you can see them starting to change here, become a syncytium. Syncytium meaning um, a large cell with multiple nuclei. The syncytia, in this case, lots of cells lose their cell walls and become a much larger cell, retain their nuclei. So that's what we have here. These blue dots are multiple nuclei, and these cells are coming together as a syncytium. <coughs> We call this then, because we have the syncytium and we have the trophoblast cells, we call this the syncytiotrophoblast. The placenta is formed from <coughs> some uterine cells as well as some of the cells from the. Yeah, from the, um, as we go through this, yeah, we'll see that form. So these are uterine cells, and these are um, cells of the blastocyst, cells of the embryo. They're both going to work together to form the placenta. The trigger for that, to start that formation, are the cells of the cytotrophoblast. Yeah. So the trophoblast is differentiating then. So we're starting to have an outer... Imagine the blastocyst is penetrating further into the uterus. As it penetrates... The cytotrophoblast is going to be the inner layer. It's going to be the layer around the embryo. The syncytiotrophoblast, as we have forming here from the maternal cells, is going to become the outer layer. Also important at this stage is, remember this, um, the embryoblast, 
the bundle of cells which were going to become the embryo, they've started to differentiate. So we have two layers now. We have an epiblast and a hyperblast. Two layers that are going to form the embryo. So, same image, same time point. We've got two things going on. These structures forming. We have the epiblast and the hyperblast forming. The epiblast and the hyperblast we term the bilaminar embryonic disc. We see that cropping up a few times when we talk about gastrulation. The bilaminar embryonic disc. So the, the future embryo is now two layers. Simple as that, the common term. This is around seven days then. So around eight days, the blastocyst is really starting to get engulfed within the uterine lining now. Here's the syncytiotrophoblast. It's getting larger. More uterine stromal cells getting pulled into it. Here's the trophoblast. Um, Within the bilaminar embryonic disc, some of those cells are starting to differentiate. They're starting to become specialized further. And they're forming uh, amnioblasts. Amnioblasts are going to secrete amniotic fluid. And you all know about amniotic fluid. So you can kind of see where this is going. Nine days in, starting to get the formation of another structure that's important at this stage. Do you remember the blastocyst? <coughs> so the blastocyst was the was this bit. As the blastocyst was forming, the blastocyst was the uh, part filling up with fluid. Now, the cells lining the blastocyst they begin to differentiate. And they form a membrane, the exosolomic membrane. So they form a membrane. <coughs> so these cells are starting to do something specialised as well, something specific. Uh, and the cavity becomes the exosolomic cavity and then the, the primary yolk sac, or the primitive yolk sac. And the yolk sac is now the source of nutrition, just like in a, an avian egg, in a bird's egg. <coughs> it's the source of nutrition for the embryo at this stage. Um, we're getting to a point where the embryo is getting too large to receive all its nutrition through diffusion, and it's going to get larger. But we haven't got a placenta yet, so it can't receive its nutrition from the placenta. So we're at this midway point. It needs um, a nutrition, uh, a nutrient source to sustain <coughs> itself as it's getting larger, up until the point where the placenta forms and takes over, and that's the primary yolk sac. Okay. Um, so there's the exosolomic membrane. That's these cells, and they're forming from this layer, from the hyperblast, and lining that exosolomic cavity. 
take our attention back to the placenta, <coughs> the forming placenta. This is about nine days, so same as the last slide. And if we look at the syncytium, as it's got larger, it's starting to get vacuoles, spaces forming within it. And the, um, the maternal uterine lining, of course, is very vascular. Lots of spiral arteries at this stage. These maternal sinusoids, these smaller arteries, are starting to get incorporated into the syncytium. So the maternal blood supply is starting to get tied in to this enlarging syncytium into these vacuoles. The blastocyst itself has now become embedded within the uterine lining and there's a, a fibrin coagulant laid down behind it to begin to plug the gap. So it's completely sealed within the uterine lining, within the uterine wall. And as this enlarges and the lacunae enlarge, they join up and get bigger and bigger. Maternal sinusoids again getting drawn in here. And the action of this insitium enlarging will begin to erode the endothelial lining of these maternal sinusoids, these large capillaries. So these eventually are going to break and the blood's going to fill these spaces these lacunae that are forming, which is the basic principle of the, of the placenta. So maternal blood's going to enter the lacunae. We have the beginnings of the uteroplacental circulation. So uh, <coughs> there will be a couple of self-directed learning applications around the placenta, how it forms, which will tie back to this, and how it works, and so on. And the placenta is basically it's, a, it's um, a bag of blood around the uterus, which you're starting to see form here, with blood vessels from the fetus passing into it and diffusion occurring across these blood vessels and into the, this maternal lake of blood, which then feeds the fetus and the uh, embryo with oxygen, takes away the carbon dioxide, gives it glucose and various other things. And that's, this is what's starting to form here, the lake of blood, which is the basis for the placenta. Okay, day 12. space around here, <coughs> so between the structures formed from the, uh, the embryo proper, and the cells are going to make the embryo, and between them and the cells are going to form the placenta, a new cell type develops, uh, the extra embryonic mesoderm, and clefts begin to form, starting to get a gap between the two. And then at this stage, we call it the extra embryonic sedum. Any idea what that's going to become? 
those gaps become interconnected and the spaces get larger. So the gaps have got much larger. And now we have a distinct space between the developing placenta and the developing embryo. They, they look like two separate structures now, right? And they're joined by a stalk here. So what's the stalk going to become? Umbilical cord, that's right. So we're starting to see an embryo and a placenta. But you can still see that both those structures are formed from the original blastocyst. This is around day 13 now. Oops. So around day 13, if we look here, um, the uterine epithelium is reformed. It's as it was before. As it reforms, some bleeding may occur. Of course, this is around day 13, day 14. So if this is about two weeks after fertilization, that makes it about four weeks after the last menstrual period, right? So it may be normal for a woman to see some natural bleeding at around the time of an expected menstrual period, which is actually caused by the reforming of the uterine epithelium here. So it's possible for a pregnant woman to have a uh, maybe a lighter period than normal depends upon the patient's history but it's possible for a woman to have a period at this stage and be pregnant let's talk about sizes at this stage here's the developing embryo this hasn't got much bigger while I've been talking about the last week or so this has pretty much remained the same size it's about 0.1 to 0.2 millimetres uh, across this dimension. Everything else has been growing around it. Just to put it in perspective. So there we go, the end of week two. By day 13, day 14, the blastocyst is engulfed. Um, we've really got the, um, the beginnings of the future placenta these uh, vacuoles are starting to get larger. They're going to start filling with blood soon. And the, the syncytium, the syncytiotrophoblast <coughs> as it is now, um, is starting to do something else that the placenta does early on. It's starting to secrete HCG, human chorionic gonadotrophin, HCG. Um, normally, when the egg is released from the ovary, the corpus luteum, uh, some of the structure around the egg, produces progesterone for a couple of weeks, maintaining the lining of the uterus. At the end of those two weeks, the corpus luteum degenerates, progesterone drops off, and a menstrual period follows, right? We're about two weeks on now, so that should be just about to occur. So what we need is the syncytiotrophoblast to start making HCG, which will signal back to the corpus luteum in the ovary to keep going, keep doing your job, stay there, don't degenerate, keep making progesterone. <coughs> if it keeps making progesterone, this uterine lining will remain and there won't be a, you know, a normal menstrual period. Uh, any other uses of HCG? Yeah, pregnancy test. HCG is secreted in the urine and um, is the basis of uh, pregnancy tests. If you can detect HCG, you're pregnant. <coughs> 
So we're into week three now. Not much further to go. For us today, anyway. Big event of week three then is gastrulation, which I mentioned a few times. Um, it's the beginning of morphogenesis. You remember morphogenesis? So it's the start of uh, seeing some shape, some form develop. The key structure of gastrulation is the primitive streak. We'll see in a moment. When we talk about gastrulation in the human, we're talking about the formation of the three germ layers. Ectoderm, endoderm, mesoderm. The three germ layers which will go on to form all the structures of the adult human. That's what gastrulation is all about. So it's very important. You'll remember my example of the sea urchin. There he is again. Talking about morphogenesis and the generation of form, the migration of cells and changing adhesion of cells and shape of cells to form shapes. And in the, uh, in the sea urchin, during its gastrulation, we saw it going from a hollow sphere to a hollow sphere <coughs> tube through it as it formed its uh, gut tube. In the human, we're going back to the, the idea of the bilaminar embryonic disc with two layers becoming three layers. Gastrulation in the human is bilaminar embryonic disc to trilaminar embryonic disc. <coughs> we'll see what I mean. Okay, back to that diagram then. So, so all those structures we were talking about. This tiny little bit here is the future embryo. Hasn't really done that much yet. This layer, the two layers, is the epiblast. This layer is the hyperblast. There is some um, discussion about this in uh, embryological circles, but it is, I think, it's generally agreed nowadays. That the, embry em sorry, that the epiblast will go on to make the ectoderm, the endoderm, and the mesoderm. You may read differently in textbooks. It's not crucial to you at all. Um, there are uh, differing viewpoints as to whether the hyperblast is involved in this or not. I'll teach it this way. Epiblast becomes the ectoderm, endoderm, and mesoderm. Let's see how that happens. As far as I'm concerned, gastrulation is all about the epiblast. So here's our future embryo, cut in half in a slightly more 3D diagram. Here's the epiblast in blue, and you can see the two layers of the disc. And what we start to see in the third week is in the epiblast, we see this structure forming, the primitive groove. You start to see this groove appear in this flat layer of cells. And this groove is caused by cells migrating. They migrate towards the midline. So this future embryo already <coughs> has. The cells know where they are. They know where the midline is. And the cells are migrating to it and diving down in the midline and forming this streak. So we're starting to see some structure, some shape. The primitive groove, the primitive streak. 
And the arrow suggests that these cells are diving down and forming this third layer. We've gone from these two layers to a third layer. So initially it's faint by about 15 or 16 days it's more visible. And this is the same process then, kind of higher res. Um, and here's the primitive streak. At one end, we have a, a pit, a round circle, the primitive node. Uh, and that is towards the, the cephalic end of the embryo. That's pointing towards the future head of the embryo. So we're starting to see examples of how these axes are occurring. We have a head end and a tail end. We have a, a superior surface and an inferior surface because of the way these cells are migrating, or dorsal ventral. And we definitely must have a left and a right then. So those three axes I spoke about are occurring and are obvious by the point of gastrulation at about days 14, 15, 16. Here's the epiblast then. And as the cells migrate into the primitive streak and dive down and descend, some of them displace the cells of the hyperblast, pushing these cells away and actually forming a new layer which is often difficult to discern from a hyperblast, but also forming a middle layer. So that's, this is how we start to get three layers of cells. One, two, three. And this is the real start of morphogenesis. Another picture of the same thing occurring then. The arrows indicating how these cells are migrating in, down, and then back out again. And look how the shape's changing. We have two patches here and here. Uh, Buccopharyngeal membrane and cloacal membrane, where we have um, the two layers and no middle layer. These are just two layers of cells here and here, which, is gonna, which are going to become the future mouth and the future anus. So we've already got the start of the developing GI tract. So what we're really talking about then is that when we've got those three layers forming, we then have the ectoderm, mesoderm, and endoderm, three layers. The cells in those three layers, they're no longer totipotent. If you're a cell in the ectoderm, you can't become any cell you like. You're restricted. The same with the ectoderm, mesoderm, and endoderm. So cells from the ectoderm will go on to form the epidermis, the skin the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system, the retina, for example. The endoderm cells in the middle layer, sorry, in this layer here, the yellow layer, will become the epithelia of the GI tract, the respiratory tracts, and glandular cells of organs associated with that. So they'll become the liver, they'll become the pancreas, they'll become the gallbladder. cells in the middle layer, the mesoderm, they get really busy. They become smooth muscle, cardiac muscle, skeletal muscle, bones, reproductive organs, excretory organs, blood cells, all sorts. So with gastrulation we start to see some differentiation. So now you know what ectoderm, mesoderm and endoderm are. Almost at the end of that third week now. Um, one other structure that's very important, which, which starts to form, is that some of these cells, 
some of these cells which dive down here migrate forward in the midline and they become a little bit different these are those cells again this black line they're di displacing the cells around them they're in the midline and they're becoming something quite different prenotochordal cells and they're going to become the notochord um, they're initially attached to the underlying layer which you see here and they definitely push the mesoderm out of the way and they become quite separate to the exoderm and they're doing quite different things these are prenotochordal cells Those notochordal cells proliferate, they detach from the underlying endoderm, they become a distinctive cord of cells. And this is the notochord. Now the notochord is important because it's an important signaling centre. Um, it's in the midline which gives you some clues. It's going to signal the formation of the central nervous system. It's going to signal the formation of the axial skeleton. It's going to give cues to form all sorts of structures in the midline. So the notochord is a very important structure. But you remember I said I was going to stop at neurulation, and that's pretty much where we are now. That's what's going to form next. Uh, the central nervous system, the peripheral nervous system, which is neurulation. But we'll stop there. We'll leave that story until the last term, and we'll pick up... Um, different parts of embryology as we meet those bits in embryology. So next week I'm teaching you the embryology of the gut, which obviously ties in with the anatomy that we're teaching right now. So there we go. That's three weeks. We're about here now. Um, and the remainder will be covered bit by bit, kind of in a regional sense, very much like anatomy is taught in a regional manner, uh, until we've covered it all. So as usual, um, that I think is um, the resource for my images. It's actually not a very good text, but it's got some good images in it. Langman's I recommend more thoroughly, more heartily, and University of New South Wales Embryology, of course. Okay, any questions? Nobody's sleeping. Thank you very much. I think uh, Mr. Brown's back with you at about three.